welcome to In My Shoes. It's a podcast for women of color where we talk about the issues that we face each and every day. And I am your host, Karen Davis Thompson. And as you guys know, April is Autism Awareness Month. If you didn't know, now you know it's Autism Awareness Month. And that is near and dear to my heart because if you listen to me, you know that I have a child who is on the spectrum. And so I have a great guest with me today who can relate to that. And so I'm going to let her introduce herself. Her name is Tiffany and tell you a little bit about her and then we'll get into it. So hi, Tiffany, tell our audience a little bit about you. Hi, Karen. Thank you for having me. Um, My name is Tiffany Hutchinson. I uh, am a single working mama. Um, which I'm sure many people can relate to. And I also have a child who's on the spectrum. Um, Caleb is going to be six in June. Um, And yeah, we live here in Tampa, Florida, just trying to figure out this thing called life. (laughs) Um, I work full time. I actually also homeschool Caleb full time this year. And that was a decision I made prior to COVID. So it's been really interesting and has been keeping us busy. Um, And then I also write a blog called A Mama Bear and Her Cub, which I started uh, a little bit prior to us getting his official diagnosis. Um, So yeah, lots of stuff going on uh, here. Yes, ma'am. A lot for us to talk about for sure. So let's start with when was Caleb diagnosed and what signs did you see that let you know, hey, there needs to be some sort of assessment done? So Caleb was officially diagnosed about three years ago now. Actually, it was uh, March three years ago where we got his official diagnosis. Um, And I would say that I started to be concerned when he turned two. And so it took about a year for us to get his official diagnosis. And honestly, mainly it was because doctors and professionals kept kind of putting me off and saying, you know, it was too, too early for me to be concerned. But some of the things that um, we initially saw was, you know, Caleb started walking early. He was crawling early. He was doing everything early. um, And he had a few words at that time. And then shortly after his second birthday, there was a little bit of, there was regression essentially. And so the few words that he did have, you know, we were trying to build on that and there was, there was nothing. Um, He would say his alphabet and say his numbers, but he was not picking up on words. He was not um, making requests, um, anything like that. And so that started to be the first red flag. And I remember shortly after his second birthday, um, he started to have like behavioral issues. And so on one of his checkups with the doctor, I mentioned it and mentioned the fact that he wasn't speaking. Um, and I was told, oh, well, he's a boy that'll come, you know, later on in life. Well, not later on in life, but you know, later on, it's still early. Um, another doctor told me that it was because I didn't have him in daycare. He was just home with my mom and I. And they were just like, oh, once you put him in daycare or he gets into school, you know, he'll start mimicking his peers. Um, And we were actually in Georgia at the time. And then we moved here to Florida and I had to find a pediatrician here and find him a doctor here because I had to get all his medical records transferred um, because I was in fact going to put him into daycare. And I raised the concerns again. Um, At this point, his behavioral issues were getting a little 
bit more aggressive. And I was worried about that. And I was worried about putting him in daycare with these issues. Um, And I remember telling the doctor, like, I think he's just frustrated. He's lashing out because, you know, he's not talking. And I heard this. It was the same thing from her here. Um, And so, you know, a few doctors tell you the same thing. You, You go against your mommy instincts and you say, okay, well, maybe. Um, and then I put him in daycare and I put him in daycare in August. And by October, I joke and say like he got kicked out, but essentially that's what it was. He had started to have such bad behavioral issues. Uh, he was becoming a danger to himself, teachers and other children in the daycare. Um, and the director of the daycare kind of pulled me aside and essentially confirmed what I already knew which was, you know, he was frustrated. She said, I don't think he is being bad. I don't think these are the terrible twos. Like, I think he is frustrated because he cannot communicate and you should get a referral for speech therapy. Um, And so I told her, you know, I had spoken to the doctor about it and what the doctor told me. And she said, absolutely not. This is your child. Your doctor works for you. You need to now demand that she gives you a referral for speech therapy. And she said, you know, in fact, you can use this experience as a reason. Like, you know, he's essentially getting kicked out of daycare. They can't, they couldn't accept him back in because he's actually like biting. Um, And so she was like, you know, I'm worried for his safety and the safety of these other kids. Um, And so I went back to the doctor and she gave me this, the the referral for speech. And that kind of fast tracked our journey to figuring out like what else was going on with him um and it was then again about six months after that like I said that we uh ended up seeing a psychologist and getting the actual diagnosis you know and there's so much that I can relate to in what you're saying I had a similar experience with my daughter number one she's a girl so Mm -hmm. um you know autism is seen more commonly at least back then in boys than girls and so that was a hurdle and um I had a lot of the, oh, you worry too much. You know, I noticed it very early on um, and I had the added, um, I guess not, I don't know how to describe it, but I had an added layer, I guess is the way to put it, in that she was adopted. And so she came to us at two. So of course, in the beginning, it's maybe it's because you're new to her, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe you you, you just, you worry too much. Um, And it's so frustrating when you know that there is something there that needs to be assessed and people are telling you, eh, you know, yeah. and then, and it's, and I, and I always worry about it with our young black boys, because if they're acting out, I'm so glad that the daycare didn't take it as he's just, uh, we can't do this. He's just horrible. And, and he's a behavior problem because once they get that label, absolutely it's so difficult for them. So I'm glad that at least she was in tune enough to say, Hey, yeah. we can't accommodate him, but I think he needs to be tested and not, he's just she horrible. Ended up being such a blessing because she, at this point I was at my wits end. Like, obviously this wasn't our first conversation about his behavior. And so this was kind of like the final straw. And she brought me into her office and she said, I'm going to tell you something. I see a lot of my son in your son. And she said, and my son has sensory processing disorder. And I like busted out into tears because for the first time I had like, I had something like I knew there was something, but she was the first person who confirmed like, this is something. And so immediately I said to her, does that mean he's autistic? And she was like, "Uh, wait a minute, not necessarily. 
Um, and I'm not a doctor. <laughs> uh, and so she was just like, you know, and so she explained to me what sensory processing disorder is. And she said, a lot of it starts with speech and lack of communication. And she said, this is why I'm telling you to get the referral to the speech therapist. She said, now he might need occupational therapy and all that. She said, but start there um, and see where it goes to see if he, you know, it improves. And if, you know, if they want to test him for autism, that can come later. But she was the first person who validated what I was feeling, which was like, he wasn't just lashing out. This wasn't the, you know, quote unquote, terrible twos. He was, he was frustrated. You know, he was trying to communicate and just couldn't. So he was lashing out. Um, And so I, you're right. I was, it was a blessing that I went to that daycare and that she had experience to know, to say like, this is not just, you know, a a child being bad. Right. Um, Because it could have definitely gone another way. Um, but yeah, she, she definitely set us on the right track and she also validated me. And I think, I honestly think like that day in her office started my, my journey to being an advocate, like knowing that I'm, I, from that day on, like nobody was ever able to tell me like, oh no, I don't think so. It's like, absolutely. This is my child. I know what's going on. You know, this is what we need to do. Um, and I've held on to that ever since. And I, it's so funny. We have so much in common because my daughter's first diagnosis was um, the SPD as well, the sensory processing disorder, and the diagnosis for autism came later. And you're right. The first person, it was her school psychologist because at the time, you know, Jalen is more like um, the pervasive developmental disorder on the spectrum. So she had more language, but there yeah. were other things that were on the spectrum that she was displaying. And in the beginning of school, she was kind of able to keep up, but the psychologist or the psychiatrist, the school psychiatrist said, Hey, uh, you know, I'll take a look. And once she agreed to help me like you, I just started bawling, you know, because it was like somebody who would, okay, yeah, I kind of see what you're talking about. I just absolutely fell apart. And then she almost did a full psychological on the girl for me, (laughs) my baby. And then I was able to use that to get further testing. And we started with the sensory processing disorder. And a lot of kids on the spectrum do have that. Um, And you're right. It does teach you to know never again. You guys are supposedly the experts and you may be the experts in medicine, but you're not the expert on my child. Right. So I know what's going on with my child. And that's what we're here to talk about. (laughs) Um, And so that this is what we're going to do. And once you it's so empowering, once you get there, you know, my daughter is now a young adult and I am still what you're not going to (laughs) do is tell me about my daughter. You're just not going to do that. That's what we're not doing. <laughs> so once you once you say that again, I'm sorry. Say it again. He said, "Let me just save you some time. Right. We're not going to do that. Figure out something else. Yeah, that's what we're not doing today. <laughs> so once you got the diagnosis, once the diagnosis came to you, you came in and you found out that he was on the spectrum. How did that feel? I was relieved. I was. I was. I. It was. It was more validation. And so for me, like, you know, this was early on. And so I was aware of autism. I had a friend whose son has, uh, who's autistic. And so like, that's a word I knew. The SPD, I didn't really understand. You know, I went down my rabbit hole of research and all that. Um, We started him in speech therapy. And then we actually, 
got him early intervention as well. So he was getting early intervention and occupational therapy prior to the the formal diagnosis. And so, again, I knew just working with these professionals who were coming into the house, and although he was progressing, um, I I knew it was more than just sensory processing. And so um, I reached out to a developmental pediatrician. The wait list was like six months long for that. And then I found out here about the program in Tampa through USF, um, where they where they can you can get evaluated, um, and they were able to do that fairly quickly. So I jumped on that, um, and so again, it it had been months, you know, closer to a year now that I was just trying to figure out like what this what this was. And so my whole thing the whole time was I just want to know how to help him. If you give me if I know what it is, I can I can figure out how to help my baby. Um, and so once I got the diagnosis, um, I, abs- I absolutely broke down and cried in that moment. Um, I think I remember hearing the words autism level two and then probably not much else after that. <laughs> um, and, you know, had a little meltdown and then really just gathered myself together because I was like, okay... I know motherhood is not going to be what I envisioned it to be, but I still need to figure out how to help my baby. Um, And so the relief came shortly thereafter. Um, And then again, just empowered. I am somebody who is like a research queen. It's like, just just give me what to put in Google and I will figure the rest out. And so, yeah, it was motivating. It was empowering. And then I remember reaching out to a a friend of mine whose son is autistic and who I had been talking to over the past few months. And I remember, you know, shooting her a text message and saying, you know, I got the diagnosis. He's autistic. And her response was, congratulations. And I think that has always that has always stuck with me, and that's always something that I say to new moms when when I speak to them is congratulations, because now you now you have a place to start. Now he can get the services. A lot of people don't know that the diagnosis is what opens up these children to to the services that are out there for them, um, whether it be speech, occupational therapy. Um, ABA therapy, if that's the route you choose to go down. A lot of these services require you to have a diagnosis. Even going into school, having a diagnosis um, allows them services to get through the public school system. And so she was like, this is a good thing. This is what what you needed. You needed documentation and paperwork so that now you can figure out how to help him. Um, And so that's that's how I felt. Now, I feel different emotions <laughs> depending on the day and the kind of day that he's having, but definitely uh, empowerment. I don't think that's anything that ever leaves me. Girl, you said a whole word there because I have spoken to a lot of moms who fear the diagnosis. I don't want them to be labeled. And I said, you do want them to be labeled because they're not going to help you without this label, sis. I know that you know, you feel like it's going to follow them around, but it is what it is. And the way the system works, they're not just handing out services because you think your child could benefit from them. They are Correct. only going to service those who have been diagnosed. So I hope that anyone listening to this who's grappling with that, 
really takes it from both of these moms who have had children diagnosed and are on the spectrum. Without that label, there are so many things that the child is entitled to that they will not be able to get. So I hope our listeners get that out of our discussion today, that as mad as you may be about this label or as much as it may bother you, it's really a good thing. Your friend was right because without it, there are so many doors that will remain locked and they can know something is up. But if you don't have that label, <laughs> they're, they're going to look at you and oh, sorry. Um, and so it's just so empowering. You, Like you said, even in the school system, you need that to really advocate the best way you can for your child. So you said that around the time you got the diagnosis or a little bit before that, you started the blog. So what um, inspired you to want to do that? Um, I've always been like a, a writer. That's always been my something I've enjoyed doing since I was little. Um, and, you know, and I journaled all throughout my life. And then I stopped journaling, you know, like it always takes something that I'm going through to get me back to like journaling. Um, And so once I started down this journey with trying to figure out what was going on with Caleb, I really started documenting for like my, my own purposes. Cause you know, you're going through all these appointments and everybody has all these questions and they want to know like what date and you know, when did he start this and when did he start that? And so I started writing everything down. Um, and it's, and it just started from like notes in a notebook. And then I remember, um, my cousin said to me, like, you should like, you should share your story about this because as hard as it is for you to find stuff, like you can be documenting this for other people. And so um, it started there just like in a notebook and saying this day, and obviously it started with like big things. So when he had, you know, his first speech therapy and when he had his evaluation and then, and then I started really tracking like everything that was happening on the in-between days also. Um, And yeah, like I just, I was like, I have to put, I have to put this somewhere. Right. And so my, my initial blog was, I don't even know. It was like some free site where I was just like writing it because even at that time, I wasn't necessarily thinking blogging. I was like, maybe I could write a book. And so again, it was just like on a word, nobody was looking for it kind of thing. And then as I researched bloggers and what that looked like and that whole world, I was like, oh, this could be something bigger than that. Um, I was already posting like videos and pictures on my social media. And so it, it eventually just became someplace for me to put everything, right? So everybody who, whether it was family, friends, and I definitely didn't think it was going to be something that um, touched people ac- across the world like it has. But it was like, okay, family and friends, everybody's always wanting to know how Caleb's doing, how he's progressing. So it was a place for them to go and read and see um, and see pictures and videos and all that. And then it's, it's just kind of blown up from there. And as I started to get feedback from people outside of family and how beneficial it had been to them, um, it's just something that I have continued to maintain consistently so that I can help other, other families going through this. Oh, girl, we could be twins. So (laughs) I love to write as well. So I know exactly what you're talking about. And I started, um, before the podcast, blogging about my daughter. And my situation is a little different. The 
autism diagnosis is not what dominates her life right now. It is more the mental health um, diagnosis that she got as an older child. Um, Cause you know, it made ABA therapy very difficult because we did ABA for a while and you know, it's supposed to like uh, teach reinforcement and then you slowly start taking the reward away and they learn the behavior. Mm -hmm. um, if she was having a day with the mental health part of it, I don't care what she, little thing she wasn't going to get. You were not going to be able to reason with her. I, it was just not happening. Mm -hmm. um, and so it started more with that and then it evolved into the podcast. So I definitely understand that. Um, and along with helping others, what does the blogging do for you? How does it help you? Oh, goodness. Um, it, it has been therapy, right? So again, like I work full time. Um, it is just, it's just me. My mom lives with us to take, help me take care of Caleb. And so, you know, I joke and say like, I, I literally don't have time to go to therapy <laughs> um, between Caleb's appointments, working and everything else. And so it has just getting everything out on paper or getting it out of my head, I should say, um, just make space for everything else that I have going on. And so it has helped me initially, you know, that was the biggest help for me. But as this has grown and I have found community and family, perfect strangers all over the world, um, it it's, it's just been invaluable. It has taught me so many lessons it has helped me to mourn what I thought motherhood would be <laughs> because like for me anyway, and I, and I see it a lot with, with parents of newly diagnosed children. Um, we, we always, we have this idea, right? Like I was that mom who was like, my child is going to eat organic food and is never going to eat McDonald's. And <laughs> the amount of money that I spent at McDonald's, I could own one. Um, but it's like, you have this, fairy tale of you know what motherhood is going to be like like he's going to play the piano and he's going to play soccer and it's like no <laughs> at least not right now that is not what's happening over here um and so you have to put that to bed because what I realize is that if I hold on to that I miss the joy of what is Caleb like if I am constantly thinking about what I wanted him to do and what I wanted him to be, I am missing out on what he actually is. Um, and so just writing has helped me work through that. Um, and, and a lot of that has come, came when I was introduced to moms who had been through this and have gone through that and have said, like, you know, you will drive yourself crazy if that, if you're li living in the, you know, what should have been, you will miss a lifetime of this child if you are stuck on what you wanted him to do. I call it mommy ego because it really is about me and what I wanted. And I, once I put that in check, I have cried way less over, you know, this autistic life. And every time I have shed a tear about it. I realized that it's less about Caleb and more about me. Um, and so just quick story, like a, I don't know, maybe a year ago, I signed him up for soccer, right? And so one of his little buddies from preschool who also 
uh, has a diagnosis. His mom is like, you know, he does soccer. He's been doing it for a year and a half. He loves it. They have other kids on the team who are autistic. They're really good with these kids. You know, you should bring Caleb out and try it. So I'm like, okay, fine. So I'm like, Caleb, you want to play soccer? And he's like, sure. You know, he likes to kick balls around. So of course he says yes. And so we get out there. We get out there early. It's early morning. Um, And his little group wasn't out there yet, but other kids were out there. And he wanted to play with the big kids. And so he was, by the time his little group came, he was so distracted by the big kids that I could not reel him in to get him involved with his little group. And so long story short, we didn't even make it through like the first practice because, you know, he ended up having a meltdown. He was upset. He just wanted to play. He did not want to play soccer with these little kids. He wanted to play soccer with the big kids. And I said he could play soccer and, you know, it was a disaster (laughs) to say the least. And so, you know, I scurry him off the field not to hold up the practice and we get him in the car and I put him in the car. Um, And I just remember like crying behind my sunglasses because I had this idea that I was going to be a soccer mom and my child was going to play soccer. And he's sitting in the back seat and he's like, let's go to Target. (laughs) And I'm like, "Uh, okay. I'm like, you don't want to play soccer? Nope. Let's go to Target. And he was over it just like that in the blink of an eye. I'm shedding tears over what I wanted for him. And he didn't want it. He wanted to go to Target. Um, and so, you know, there are things like that, that, uh, you really just have to check yourself, (laughs) um, and your mommy ego. Cause it's, it's really not about me. It's about him and me giving him the space to be who he is. Um, and not what I thought I wanted him to be. And I have experienced that as well, you know, as the, um, having a daughter who was on the spectrum, there were so many things, you know, prom and homecoming and all of that. And it wasn't the same for her. She ended up going to a charter school that was for children with, um, not just autism, but several diagnoses. And so there were little dances and whatever, but it wasn't like the experience my sister had with my niece. And I had to learn very early as well to let it go because I could miss out on who she is worrying about what I thought this mother daughter thing would be like and looking at my sister and my niece and thinking that's what I was going to be able to do. Um, And so I learned how to get my fix for that stuff by, you know, uh, participating with my niece and still loving what my daughter and I had and what life was going to be like for her. Um, And you're right. It is mommy ego. It's our thinking that we are going to have this certain type of child And that's not necessarily, you get what God wanted you to have. And this is what he wanted me to have. And this is what I'm here to do. And I sometimes think about what would life be like for her if she was with somebody who wasn't willing to go that extra, however many miles for her. Um, And so I definitely can relate to mommy ego for sure. (laughs) So you said earlier that you are homeschooling him and that even before the pandemic, that was a decision you'd made. What led you to want to do that? Yeah, that, you know, the, you touched on it earlier with the public school and uh, the services. And so um, once he turned three here in Tampa, he was no longer eligible for like early intervention through USF. And so at the age of three, they can go into the, their, you know, local public school and, um, and be there until kindergarten. 
And so the way Caleb's birthday falls, he started pre-K. He was actually three because he turns three in June. So that August um, at the local elementary school, he started there uh, three days a week. And then when he turned four the following year, he was going five days a week. And we love them. We absolutely love the class, love the the setup. He loved going to school. Um, but as they started preparing us for kindergarten, and I say us because there was a lot of preparing of me also. Um, it was just like, you know, and again, this is before COVID. So it's just like, you know, mom, he's going to have to walk through the cafeteria and, you know, do all this stuff as far as being independent. And he just wasn't there yet. It, again, it was one of those moments that was like, you're torn between, am I just being scared, mom? Or is this me knowing my child and knowing that, like, I don't think he's quite there yet. Um you know, because Caleb is one of those kids that if he sees a kid run by him, he's going to chase the kid running because he wants to play. And so you're telling me that I have to drop him off in the carpool line and he has to find his classroom by himself? How is that going to work? Um, and so the year progressed and they're they're working with him throughout the day. And, um, you know, I'm getting progress reports on how he's doing. And then finally, it was the last sit down of the year. Um and they didn't necessarily say he wasn't ready, but they were just like, you know, let's pack his IEP with, you know, all these things and make sure he can get the services that he um, he needs. And I'm sorry, I'm not. And so the last one, we so the pandemic started. So pandemic started last March, right? And so they're working with him on this independence, but then the pandemic hits and he doesn't go back to school after spring break. And so I'm like, okay. When he goes back to school in August now, it's now been months since he's been in school. You guys were working with him on all these things, but now, you know, we've been virtual learning. How is, so my fear of him not being ready just kind of kicked up a notch. Um, And so when we're having the IEP meeting, I'm like, listen, I wasn't sure how this was going to work a few months ago. Now with this pandemic, and at this point, you guys don't even know what it's going to look like. I'm just not sure how this is going to work with Caleb being in an integrated classroom with 22 peers um, and one teacher, where he's coming from a classroom that I think had eight children in it, but also had six adults. He had two teachers and four paraprofessionals who helped with the kids. And so I'm just like, I that transition does not seem seamless to me. And now you have COVID in the mix. Um, And so they were like, you know, well, you know, we'll just really have to see, you know, how he does when he comes in. And I'm like, "Uh uh-uh, no, that's what we're not going to (laughs) do, right? That's not, that's what we're not going to do. We're not going to set it up and see how he does so that he can fail. Um, Because right now he loves school And I'm not going to send him there. And you guys aren't very clear on what he needs and what that's going to look like. And then he's traumatized by it. Um, And so I was like, no, I will pull him out. Um, And then again, also too, now we're in the midst of COVID. So there was additional uncertainty, um, which really solidified my decision. But when I originally started thinking about it, Honestly, I was worried about the the whole labeling. So the label of autism doesn't work, doesn't really concern me. I've never been 
um, one of those parents who said, oh, I don't want my child to be labeled. Because truth be told, nobody knows he's autistic unless I tell him, right? So even in school, I think they had him listed as developmentally delayed. They didn't even have him listed as autistic because of, um, you know, his, his knowledge as far as, you know, academically he was there. Um, and so he, he didn't fit to me is, is what I always say to people. Like he has this, he has social delays. And so I was concerned about things like him navigating, you know, his way to class and navigating the schoolyard and sitting quietly in his seat and not being distracted. As far as the work for kindergarten goes, the school psychologist said, you know, he knows more than first graders at this point. And so you want him to sit still, but he's also going to be bored because he's more advanced in kindergarten. Um, and the label that I am concerned about is you labeling my child with something like ADHD. Because then, you know, historically they want to then medicate the child. And, and I'm like, but that's not what this is. You want a child who has autism, which is, you know, a, a social disorder, to sit in a class where he is going to be, like, I know he's going to be bored. If you're telling me that he knows st more than first graders, you can't stick him in a kindergarten class. And what happens with any child when they are bored? They act out. And so, like, I could tell, I know how this is going to play out. And so they weren't, to me, they weren't willing to do enough to figure out how that was going to work for him. It's not like they were saying, well, we'll have somebody with him we would give him, you know, additional work to make sure he's challenged. Nobody was saying that out the gate. They were just saying, well, we'll see how he does when he gets here. And I'm like, no, we need a play. They need something in place now, or I'm not sending him back. Um, and so we just took this year with me homeschooling. I actually have started homeschooling him on first and second grade work, even though he's technically in kindergarten. Um, but we took this time to work with his occupational therapist, his speech therapist, and his ABA therapist to get him socially ready. And so we do, you know, they work with him on, you know, sitting at his desk. They have a few kiddos around him just trying to keep him, you know, and have him focus on task and not distracted. Um, they're helping me with the homeschooling as far as the curriculum. Um, and so... It's been a good year, but Caleb wants to go back to school. He's recently been asking me to go back to school. And so we are back in this space where I have to find a place that, that fits for him. Um, it's funny you mentioned the charter school because I have a list of those. Um, and I definitely think he might need something with a smaller setting for sure. Um, but yeah, I'm... I'm ready to go back in there fighting with the, with the schools if I have to, 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 I have a list already of what I started to like pack into his, that he needs in his IEP. Um, so, you know, the next few months will be interesting because I'm already starting down that journey. I think he's ready. He's, he's a social child um, to be on the spectrum. Uh, they, I use the air quotes, they, you know, say those are not social um, my child is a social butterfly. He will run off with whoever will take him <laughs> to go play and hang out. And so he's missing that. Um, and so I know I need to, to get him back out there. 
Yeah. And it is going to be, I'm just going to tell you, it's going to be a challenge um, here in our area. And we won't spend a lot of time on this. Obviously we have listeners from all over, but I'm sure other places have the same issue. Um, it was, it was difficult. And I was kind of forced into looking in the charter school space. My daughter was at a public school where uh, we had a really good relationship with the administration at the time. And my daughter, part of her issue was wedding. We had a really hard time with potty training and we had an entire routine for if she had an accident. And one of the things that I needed was, you know, a lot of schools want uniforms. Well, she can't do the buckles and the, cause she was also right. taking occupational therapy. She's not going to have time to try to undo this belt mm-hmm. and zipper and button if she has to go to the bathroom. So she needs to be able to just pull her pants up and down this whole tucking your shirt in thing. Like we <laughs> we're not yeah. going to be able to do all of that. And we did really well until third grade. Um, she got a teacher who felt like I was the problem, you know, like, you know, oh, um, and I ended up having to move her when um, I took her for occupational therapy. We got to school. She had an accident. And I asked the nurse's assistant, can she sit here while I go get something? She had an accident. So they start asking me all these questions. And I hate it when they want to talk about what's going on in front of the child. I'm not a fan of that. And so how long has this been going on? I said, I don't understand why this is a problem. Like we've been doing this since kindergarten. But by then, the administration was not the same. You know, I'm like, everything is fine. We've got this. They sent my baby home because I know what happened. She went down there and told the teacher, if she has to change, send her up here. Well, she had a routine that you've now interrupted. So my poor child didn't know what to do with the wet pull up. So she puts it in her book bag. They sent my baby home with a wet, nasty pull up in her book bag. (laughs) I was like, are you, are we really doing this? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's, I want to say that's my fear, but I I will say that I had a conversation with a a fellow autism mom even before Caleb started school. And I was just like, you know, what do I do with schools? And she said, Tiffany, you're going to have to take it year by year, which is why when Caleb started asking me about going back to school, I didn't panic and flip out. Um, It was just like, okay, this is one of those things. Like every year, we're just going to have to reevaluate where he is. He might get into school and it not work. And I have to, you know, pull him out abruptly. But I've mentally prepared for that because as he you know, it's going to it's going to be difficult right now. He's saying he wants to go to school because he's fascinated with school buses and he misses his friends. Now, when he gets in there after two weeks of sitting in a chair for eight hours a day, is it going to be the same? I have no idea. But I but I feel like I have to let him experience that. I always say, like, I let Caleb navigate. I never want to say, no, you can't do anything and and hinder him or put my own anxiety on him. Um we just have to try it. And if if you love it, you love it. If you don't love it, we'll figure something out. Um, and it sounds crazy because he's almost six. And, and sometimes I say it and it feels like, you know, he navigates, you know, he runs the house. But, you know, it's, it's not that. I have to respect what he is telling me because he, you know, he's very aware of his likes and his don't likes. Now, does that mean I don't, you know, force him to do some things that he doesn't like? Yes, I do, because I'm still his, I'm still his mother, and he's still only going to be six. But, you know, I have to figure out. It's a, it's a balancing act of figuring out, like, is he trying to get over on me, or is he really trying to advocate for himself? And that's important too, right? Because I want him to be able to advocate for himself um, as he gets old, older. I never want to take his voice away. Um, 
because he is one of, you know, autism, the spectrum is broad. There are children who can't advocate for themselves. And so I'm so grateful that he literally has his voice and that he can. And so I can't be here preaching, you know, stand up for yourself, advocate for yourself. And then when he does it with me, I shut him down. And so I'm learning to balance that, which is, again, very weird because he's, you know, only about to be six. Um, But it's something that, like, if I'm if I'm teaching this to him, I have to respect it also when he um, when he uses it on me, which is a little scary. <laughs> and I do agree. You do have to take it year by year. That's what we ended up having to do. And for those who may not be in that space, IEP is individualized education plan. I meant to say that earlier. Um, we throw it around because we know what it means, but we may have listeners who aren't aware of what that term means. But I agree with your friend. You may have to take it year by year. Uh, because the school system, I think, is still, even in charter schools, they're still catching up with a lot of what these kids um, need. Um, and so, yeah. you know, they're trying to get there, I guess. Um, what is one misconception that you think people have about children who are on the spectrum? Um, that they are all the same. Um Oh, well, you said one, right? There's a, there's a bunch. Oh, well, I'll give you my top You can give two. me, yeah, you can give me more than one, whatever, whatever works. <laughs> one, that they're all the same and two, that they're supposed to look a certain way. Um, and so Caleb is a little boy with a big personality, right? And he's loud and rambunctious and he's also a boy's boy. He's jumping off of things and running and crashing. And, um, and so I... I used to get the question like, is he still autistic? <laughs> yes. Yes, he is. And he will always be. Um, or has he grown out of it? And it's like, nope, it's still still a, still a thing. Um, but yeah, those are, I think those are the um, common misconceptions that they're supposed to look and act a certain way all the time. Um, and that that is like, that's all that they are. Like he is not just an autistic child. He's very funny. Um, again, very animated, you know, it, it doesn't show, you know, quote unquote show up every day. Um, and so depending on how much time you, you spend with him, you know, you may not get a glimpse into what life is really like with us. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's, that's the biggest misconception, which is also why we need, there's still so much work to be done about like the diversity of neurodiversity, right? Like it's, it's all different. Um, We talk about our stories being, you know, similar or the same, but I'm sure, you know, he's very different from your daughter, but they are still, you know, autistic. That's, that's just the way this this thing kind of works. So, yeah, that's uh, for sure. I think our stories are similar in how we were able to um, get the diagnosis. But you're right; they are so different in terms of the spectrum. Like my daughter isn't quite as social as your son is. Um, she withdraws a bit more. Um, crowds really um, make her nervous, or people think because she can communicate, she can talk to me. But it doesn't mean she always communicates well. Um, and so I get a lot of that. The one that gets me that really blows me is when people tell me she's so smart. 
<laughs> yeah, I don't know. Just because she's on the spectrum doesn't mean she's not smart. I don't know. <laughs> Thank you. Question mark. Like, I don't know what you want me to say to that. <laughs> but um, that's one. Yeah, there. Yeah. yeah, it has nothing to do with it. Um, and I can't believe it's been 45 minutes. So <laughs> as we wrap this up, what advice would you give to a mom who is sitting in the doctor's office and has just received the diagnosis that her son or daughter is on the autism spectrum? Um, advice can be tricky. Um, the, the biggest thing I can say is continue to, to love them and advocate for them and know that nobody knows them better than you. Um, the other part of the other thing that I would say to them is, you know, this is still your perfect, perfect child that, you know, that you dreamed of that that came into your life that God has blessed you with like they they are still that same child like th- this diagnosis does not change that um now how they act from day to day how they progress how they find themselves in this world may look differently but if you think of it like i feel like that's everybody's story. Like my journey is not the same as yours, as my mother's or my sister's or whoever. And so if you um, don't get caught up in the label, like once you get a diagnosis, there's not a stamp on these kids' foreheads, right? Like people use the word label and I'm like, what is the label? Like there is no label. I Nobody has to know. If you don't want to share that with anybody, you don't have to share that with anybody. Um, and so just take it day by day and, and know that, you know, this child is still the one that you dreamed about and your journey is going to be different, but you know, so is everybody else's. So focus on the joy. I think that's perfect advice. Yeah. I think people do get caught up. You know, for me, the label is just necessary for them to get services. Right. And then after that, just move on with your life. Um, and enjoy being a mom. So I want to thank you so much for being my guest today um, as we celebrate autism awareness. And I think it is to be celebrated because our children um, are wonderful people. And um, I am excited that um, I had an opportunity to meet with you today. And I'll be sure to put information about your uh, blog in the show notes so that people know where to find you if they want to follow you. That's all the yes. time we, oh yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to do that. Um, that's all the time we have for today. If you have anything you want to hear us talk about on In My Shoes, you can hit me up at kdt at inmyshoestoday.com. Again, that's kdt at inmyshoestoday.com. Happy Autism Awareness Month. And until we meet again, be blessed. Looking for a fun and unique gift for Mother's Day? We got you covered. Head on over to www.inmyshoestoday.com shop and check out all of the great journals we have to offer. You guys know we're all about women of color telling their story in my shoes. And what better way to do that than to journal? Whether they need a little self-care, if they're working on a gratitude mindset, if they're looking for a prayer journal, or even something that gives them a few writing prompts to get them started, we've got what you need, as well as a line of decorative pens designed to inspire women to write until their heart's content. Remember, we believe that when you write, you release. So go on over to our website, www.inmyshoestoday.com shop and use promo code IMS. That's IMS for free shipping on all orders until Mother's Day. Oh,